We are in a series that we started last week. It's a mini-series on community. Um, we're going to continue it today. An invitation to create community. Those words, every one of those words matters as we enter into this, uh, this series. An invitation, this is an opportunity for everyone to create. This is not just something that's already been created. We are actively creating community together. And so it's, it uh, communicates not a passive approach, but an active approach where we together are creating community. And this is for all of our communities. We kick-started it last week. Um, we talked last week about how we are more connected than ever, yet Americans are among some of the most lonely people on the planet. So coming out of the pandemic, we believe that there is a practice that Jesus invites us into, this practice of community that is an opportunity to engage and help us to uh, be distinct amidst our culture that is consumed with individualism, hollow individualism. So um, it's something that we need, it's something that the world needs, and it's something that we are engaging, something that the church offers to the world because of Jesus. Um, we talked last week about how uh, community isn't being connected. We have a temptation to believe that if we're connected, then community is created, but it's not true. It's geography, it's face-to-face, it, the chemi- uh, community isn't chemistry. Uh, meaning that it's got to have the same hobbies and the same passion, same personalities. That's not true community. And Jesus gives us that example of community where the tax collector and the zealot, who in the world standards hated each other, but Jesus invites both of them into community, not because of chemistry, but because they believed that Jesus was Lord. And they submitted to Jesus and they created community together. And so that's how we are defining community, deep and meaningful community. So I want to continue in that vein this morning. And uh, when I ask, what comes, up to your, what comes to your mind when you think about family? When you think about family, maybe for you it's what, uh, maybe Christmas vacation communicates. You see this motley crew of people. You have the grandparents that show up. You have the weird uncle that shows up. And maybe you're like, when you watch that, you feel a little triggered because your family was just like that, right? And so family can look odd for some of us. It can be quirky. You have this oddball relative. It can feel awkward. It can feel like these variety of different things. Maybe for others, when you think about family, it's a family that you want to create or a family that you are currently creating. It can be a wide range of things. But family, amidst the awkwardness and the quirkiness, uh, stays bonded together because of commitment. There's a commitment to one another that family has even amidst the awkwardness and the quirkiness and the oddball realities that exist. See, in the first century, Jesus gave a profound vision about community, and he likened this community to a family. Jesus gave this profound vision of community, and he likened that vision of community, that community, to a family. This might seem sentimental, Jesus would create a vision of community that's around family, but it was actually quite radical. It was radical in the first century, and it's also radical to us today. So I want to look at Matthew chapter 12, and I want to consider some of the words of Jesus this morning. Matthew 12, uh, at the very end, starting in verse 46, you can open up your app or your Bible and read along with me. It says, Matthew 12, 46, while he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him, but he replied to the man who told him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? 
And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. So we can bypass this, but this is ridiculously scandalous that Jesus would make this claim in the first century. He's saying that my family, first and foremost, is not biological. My family, first and foremost, is founded upon faith. See, Jesus introduces a uh, provocative familial vision of community. What Jesus is implying here is staggering. In this context, there was no greater allegiance than family. Family was the superior allegiance above every other allegiance in this day. So to understand what Jesus is saying will help guide us as we consider community and as we consider his vision for the church. So he's putting priority on community over the priority and allegiance of his day. He isn't minimizing family. He's not. He actually, right before he died, he looked at John. He said, here is my mother. He wanted John to take care of his mama. And so he had a deep care and love for his mom. And yet he had this vision of family in the context of this community that he was creating. See, he was introducing a familial vision that would occur with the death of his death and his resurrection and the birth of the church. There's a guy named Joseph Hellerman, and he wrote a book around this. It's called When the Church Was a Family. And in it, he spoke about the Mediterranean family and how we ought to allow it to shape us. He says, The Mediterranean family should markedly inform our understanding of Christian community. Since the idea that we are brothers and sisters in Christ constitutes the f- fundamental conceptual part, a point of uh, departure for coming to grips with God's social vision for his, family, for his church. We must learn to grasp the way in which brother would resonate with someone in the first century. So Jesus, when he says, my family is my disciples, when he pointed to in that moment when his mom and his siblings come to him and they want to have a conversation with him, he takes that moment, he always takes these moments to, to speak something greater. He says, this is my true family, these disciples, as he points to them and how that shapes our view of community in the 21st century as well. He likened this community to a family. The New Testament epistles are lathered with this emphasis over and over again. We're reminded over and over again of our need for one another, that we need each other for this spiritual family that Jesus is creating. So 59 times in the New Testament, we hear this phrase, one another. Everybody say, one another. another. Very good. So I'm going to read several of these 59 one another's. And I want them to weigh over us because the New Testament church, the early church, believed that what Jesus said about family and community mattered to them. It wasn't just this neat thing that Jesus said that ended with Jesus. It continued on to the early church and how they lived and interacted with each other. And so when Jesus lays out this vision of family as community, it shaped the early church. Church. And so let's read some of them together. Um, Nick Waltz is downstairs. He was kind enough to put a lot of these on these slides. There's a lot of them, and here we go. So, 16 times we hear the phrase, love one another. 
goes on, be devoted to one another. And you can see the references um, on the right side. Honor one another above yourselves. Live in harmony with one another. Build up one another. Be like-minded towards one another. Accept one another. Admonish one another. Greet one another. Care for one another. Serve one another. Bear one another's burdens. Forgive one another. Be patient with one another. Speak the truth in love. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Submit to one another. Consider others better than yourselves. Look to the interest of one another. Bear with one another. Teach one another. Comfort one another. The list still goes. We're rolling here, ladies and gentlemen. Encourage one another. Exhort one another. Stir up one another to love and good works. Show hospitality to one another. Employ the gifts that God has given us for the benefit of one another. Clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. Pray for one another. And lastly, confess your faults to one another. See, the New Testament is reminding us of the family Jesus has created and our need for one another. That they're not separate from the words of Jesus. When he made that statement that this is my family, he was creating a new community that he was kickstarting in his death and in his resurrection and the giving of the Spirit. And through that, this new community was formed and this familial vision was shaping this community. In the first century, Jesus gave a profound vision about community and he likened this community to a family. Uh, Cyprian, who was a North African bishop, he said this, which is maybe jostling at first, but I think it's worth noting. He says, uh, this was in the, the third century, he said, no one can have God for his father who does not have the church for his mother. What is he doing there? He's saying that the church is so important to the mission and the vision of Jesus on earth. And you can't isolate yourself in a silo and say, God is my father, without being tethered to each other with community. You can't have a vertical commitment to father without a horizontal commitment to community. This is what Jesus is offering to us. What's the point? Jesus made it clear that you need each other. We need each other. Spurgeon called the church, Charles Spurgeon, the the dearest place on earth. And all of its quirks and all of the pain points, that it creates this this place, this hospital that we exist in. We come together, not with our chest puffed out. I don't know if you know this, but we gather together with a limp, saying we need a savior. We come every Sunday remembering the story. And in that, this, this dearest place, is created. This is what we've been saved into, a family who cares for one another, who loves one another, who serves one another, who's committed to one another. So that's the vision, and yet we live in this context. And in this context that we live in the 21st century, we are taught to believe that individual freedom is what we need most to be happy. So you can see this collision course 
of the invitation of Jesus that you need one another. And the message that we hear is that you need autonomy. Self-government is the highest need you have to be happy. That bucks against the ways of Jesus. See, our view has become hijacked thinking to believe that we can do this alone. We have this temptation that we can do this on our own. We are fed a warped view of autonomy that makes us think that our self-freedom will bring happiness, and it won't. We've been socialized to believe that our dreams and our goals are my dreams and my goals and my personal fulfillment is the highest need in my life, that my needs drive the ship. And man, it's a dead end. It's a dead end. Along with this, we are living amidst a wave of deconstruction that we experience. Maybe you've uh, been aware of this. Maybe you've been in your own journey of deconstruction. The idea is that people who once believed something decide to deconstruct those ideas, rethinking long-held beliefs, specifically in the Christian faith. And there's some good here, um, but I find that the road of deconstruction that doesn't have a plan for the Bible and community always ends in a train wreck. When the Bible and community are not kind of the baseline that carry us through a journey of figuring out pain points that we might have always leads in a train wreck. See, part of the perils of deconstruction is that many begin to throw the baby out with the bathwater, especially within, around the church. Frustrations around church oftentimes lead to a rejection of the church all together. And when we reject the church, we miss the vision that Jesus has for us and what we've been saved into. See, navigating through pain within the church is real, but oftentimes that frustration can lead you to think that you are capable of having church by yourself. And in doing this, you have reverted back to being an orphan who wasn't adopted into a family, but we've been adopted into a family together. There's a popular influencer who has deconstructed their view of church. I'm not going to give names here because that's not helpful. Uh, but I do want to give a quote that I think will be helpful. And they summarize their view of church by saying this. Church to me right now feels like my best friends, my porch bed, my children and parents and siblings. It feels like uh, meditation in my pecan trees. It feels like my kitchen table porch. It feels like Jesus who never asks me to meet him anywhere but in my heart. So I preface by saying there's deep pain here, and there's space to walk through deep pain. I want to preface by saying that. But I also want to say that this statement doesn't line up with the words of Jesus, that he invites us into community together, one another as a family. Jesus invited us to one another, to this family. You know, the church isn't perfect. And yes, there are areas that we need to grow in for sure. There are also ghosts, quote unquote, in the sanctuary, if you will. Times to leave a community and spiritual abuse and an emotional abuse and where communities move away from the gospel for sure. I mean, when times are hard, we don't need to pull back but to lean into each other, to walk through. Sometimes community is the most stable thing in life when life feels unstable. We need one another. In the first century, Jesus gave a profound vision about community, and he likened this community to a family. We've been grafted into a family, into the family of Jesus. 
And in return, we need one another. This is what Jesus, or this is what Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter one. He speaks about this adoption we have. He says uh, in verse three, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. And spiritually speaking, we are no longer orphans. Spiritually speaking, we have been grafted into this family, the family of God. Again, we're not a bunch of isolated, adopted children, but we've been adopted into this massive family from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. And localized, we've been adopted into a family, uh, a body of Christ that we can grow together in, where God is our father, where Jesus is our brother. And if you want to believe the early church and what uh, Cyprian said, that we uh, have the church as our nurturing mother who cares for us. A new community. A new community that feels our pain when we go through it. That celebrates our happiness. That feels grief and, and, and goes and celebrates uh, joys in our lives. I mean, we're part of something so much bigger than we might realize. When you said yes to following Jesus, you said yes to the family that he adopted you into. It's this community that helps us grow as we follow Jesus together making us something that we could not be on our own. So a couple months ago, I was uh, been getting, I'm one of the 6.5 million people that got into golf over COVID. And uh, so I was going out to play golf by myself a couple months ago, and I was hoping to play golf by myself, and I got up to the first tee box, and there was somebody else there. It's like, dadgummit. Um, and so, you know, whatever. So I introduced myself, as you're supposed to, and... Um, uh, myself and this dude, we, we got to talking and, and we ended up playing the 18 holes together. And um, shortly into our conversation, he was like, yeah, I, I kind of, something happened in life to where I had to kind of take a pause from golf for a few years. And so I, I like to push in those moments uh, to the degree that people are comfortable, of course. Um, and he was like, yeah, I stepped away from the game for a while. I was like, yeah, what happened, man? He's like, yeah, I had a, I had a brain injury. Um, and it took me out of the game for a while, so I pressed, and it's like, oh, what happened, man? Um, and he said it was a self-inflicted gunshot wound, uh, that he almost was killed by suicide, um, and somehow he survived, and so he showed me the, the, the wounds, and I had this moment, it was shock, but not the shock that maybe you're thinking, um, it was like this, shock might not even be the right word, it was, it was awe. Like, like standing before a, a fellow image bearer who was made in the image of God almost took his life and made it through. And just like that, I had this moment of just like, it was like the fear of the Lord in some ways, like seeing the life that God had created who was able to come out on the other side of that. And so again, I pressed. And, and again, this was not, this was very natural. This is, you know, I wasn't like mean. Um, and so I was just like, man, what? what happened? Like, and what did you learn? Like, to, how many times have we had a conversation with somebody who's gone through such pain and difficulty and come out on, on the other side? And, and so he began to share with me about a rough divorce and life caved in and he had, some, he had, some, he had community in his life. And, and his phrase to me, I wrote it down, he said, I thought I could do it on my own. I thought I could do it on my own. He said, whenever people would ask, 
He would always say everything was good when it actually wasn't. And this is our temptation, right? To pretend, put our best foot forward, to wear a mask. And we're invited into something so much more rich and real and lasting and meaningful and deep. We're invited into this family that Jesus has saved us into. In the first century, Jesus gave us a profound vision about community. And he likened this community to family. There were two ingredients in the early church. When we see the the boom of the church exploding in the first century, these two ingredients that took place, one was the teachings of Jesus just caused the mind of people to explode. And if you grew up in the church, maybe you don't understand the rich... uh, reality of the message of Jesus. In the first century, it was, it was liberating. It was compelling for people who were oppressed with darkness and a pagan pantheon of gods and goddesses to see that there was a God of mercy. And man, today, that message is equally profound to know that you don't have to be driven by shame. You don't have to feel uh, the pressures of this world. You can be set free by the message of Jesus. This is why we pray for unreached people groups. We want to ask God to to allow the message of the grace of Jesus to liberate their minds from the pressures they feel from the gods and goddesses that they live under. And that message exploded in the early church. But it wasn't just the message of Jesus that caused the early church to explode. It was also their behavior, the way they treated one another. Conversion happened because of the way in which the early church behaved. Brotherly love marked the early church. Remember, we had tax collector Matthew, and we have Simon the Zealot, and they hated each other, but they were in this community together, and they learned to serve one another, and they learned to grow together, and the outside world saw them. They said, that's different. That's distinct, and I want that. They were caring and kind and supportive and sacrificial. The early church, man, rulers of that day, including Julian, uh, mentioned how distinct this community was by their behavior. And here we are, 2021, post-pandemic, living in a world of loneliness. In the first century, Jesus gave this profound vision, and it's just as profound for us today. We have the opportunity to be distinct amidst the hollow individualism of our day. We crave this. Since college, a lot of us crave this. In college, typically, it's the richest time of community that we have. It's like shooting fish in a barrel. Some of you guys don't even know what that means. I don't even know what that means. Maybe there's a lot of fish in a barrel, and you shoot them, right? And it's easy to shoot the fish in a barrel. But there's no uh, commitment. There's little responsibility, right? You just show up. Everything is community. And then you leave college, Years go by, decades go by, and you don't experience the good old days of community that you had in college. See, we won't stumble into this kind of community anymore, into the family of Jesus that he intends for us. We now have to schedule it. We now have to prioritize it. We now have to be intentional with it, and yet... It's worth it. And so this fall, again, we've been doing this series on community for a reason. We're inviting our community into community this fall. Some of you have had great experiences with community here or in other places. Some of you have had great experiences with our community groups that we've had over the 
years, and some of you might have not had the greatest experience with community groups over the years. And we've tried to learn from some of our experiences along the way, and we've reestablished five values that we have for our community groups that I want to share with you as we close. We're going to be launching community groups next week. We're going to be hearing from all of our group leaders next week, and we'll finish up the series the following week. But there's five values that are baseline of uh, baseline commitments for community groups that we have that I just want to remind you of. I shared last week. The first is fostering relationships. We want to foster relationships within our community groups where we want to know one another. We want to foster a space of connection together. Secondly, we want to commit to each other. We ask in a way that we haven't done before. And if you want to be a part of a community group, you've got to commit. And I know there might be something better and so you have a fear of missing out and you don't want to miss out on the thing that might happen so you don't want to commit. There will be things that come up that because you committed, you won't be able to do. But that's okay. That is okay. So to commit to each other, because what happens if you only show up once a month, you don't grow. But if we're committing to one another, we're actually able to grow together. So we commit to each other. Third, we grow together. We study whether a book of the Bible or a book that's about the gospel or an application of the gospel. We study that together and we pray together. That's how we grow together. Fourth, we love our neighbors We pray for our community and our groups. We serve locally. We support our cross-cultural workers. And lastly, from within this, we develop leaders. We want to allow these groups to be a a greenhouse for people who have gifts that want to grow and maybe lead a group in the future to be able to do so. And friends, in the first century, Jesus created this vision of community. And man, it's just as relevant in the 21st century as it is for us today. And so we want to invite you into this. We want to ask you, if Sojourn's your home, to prioritize this. It's not for us. It's not for us to keep tabs of numbers and where we are with groups. It's for, it's for you. Like Jesus saved you into community, into a space where you can grow together. And we want to invite you into that. That's our heart and that's our hope. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you 